Welcome to Season 2 of the Predator Podcast. Here on the Predator Podcast, we will talk about all things predator hunting. If you're a predator hunter or wanting to become one, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Drew, and on this podcast, we will talk with fellow predator hunters all over the United States about the tips and tactics they use to put more fur in the truck. I'd like to give a special shout out to my partner for the Predator Podcast, Dark Knight Outdoors. If you're in the market for a thermal optic or accessory, uh, look no farther than Dark Knight Outdoors. Jamie is second to none. I got a chance to meet him, sit down with him, and he's a great guy, and customer service is off the charts. I would highly recommend it. Uh, If you look at my description below, you will see there's a couple of discount codes there. You can use the code PREDATORPODCAST23. That'll save you $50 on a thermal optic, and there's also a, a code there for accessories. Check out the link in my description below, and check out Dark Knight Outdoors for your next thermal optic purchase. All right, guys, uh, Predator Podcast Season 2. I'm joined today by Blake Garrett. Uh, he's a coyote hunter that I've been following for a few years, and I uh, love his work, and I wanted to get him on, and I appreciate him taking the time out of his night to join me tonight. So, Blake, uh, thanks for thanks for joining me tonight. Yeah, man. Thanks for asking. I uh, I don't get to do many of these on predator stuff. It's usually always whitetail stuff or turkey stuff. So it's kind of nice to get to talk about what I really, really love. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If you guys don't follow uh, Blake on Instagram, uh, I'll put his handle and stuff below. You guys will have to check it out. He has some awesome, awesome content and uh, I always look forward to his posts. So you'll have to check it out. But uh I'll give him a chance to kind of introduce himself, tell us a little bit about him and uh, give us the story of Blake. Yeah. So, man, I grew up in the Midwest. I've lived here my whole life and in Missouri and uh, kind of being in Missouri, it's kind of nice because you get to kind of have your pick at the game and what you want to hunt for the most part. And you're kind of centrally located in the United States, which has always been kind of fortunate for me. But uh started the whole, gosh, the whole outdoor industry uh, thing probably back in 2009 Worked through television for probably six, eight years, um, did some different stuff with some different shows there, started kind of working, working some marketing stuff. And uh, I kind of feel kind of feel like I realized that there were some holes in the marketing system and some ways to get some marketing out and some other different avenues. And as you see, kind of know, the industry's kind of gone digital now, and that's kind of more where we're at. But um, yeah, just a content creator. I don't I've always tried to build my brand around the content. And around the experiences and not around me, really. A lot of guys love to to be front and center. I'm not one of those guys, really. If you notice, and you go and check out the stuff on socials, it's it's just more about the content, more about the hunts, more about the fun and the camaraderie, and and less about me because I don't think I'm that interesting of a person, really. I just get to do fun stuff. So, uh, yeah, coyote hunting's always been, you know, it's it's kind of been my relaxing time, uh, especially right right now. I'm trying to finish up one i've got one tag left in missouri for whitetails late um so i'm kind of playing with that which is actually what i was doing tonight and uh got back home just hunting evenings but i'm ready to get into coyotes coyotes are fun i I get to kind of relax a little bit um no pressure and uh just kind of get out with some buddies and and have have a good time and that's kind of where that's kind of rolled and we've uh been been kind of fortunate to to catch some really cool stuff, coyote hunting, and to get some really good content with it. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep going with it. It's a, it's a fun time. I don't really, 
I don't really have a drive to turn coyote hunting into my main my mainstay just because I kind of like to keep it as something I do that keeps me sane. But uh, but it's definitely yeah, the one thing sure. that I can say. You know, it's it's definitely the one thing that I can say is the is the is the most fun, I guess, or I get the most enjoyment out of throughout the year for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I'm the same way. Just hammering the tree stand all fall, and then uh, it's it's something to look forward to. Uh, it's a little relaxing. It's nice to uh, you. You just had your bow on the hanger. If you had your bow on the hanger all fall, you know, and maybe got the draw back a couple times, it's nice to be able to uh, scratch the itch of the trigger finger a little bit, especially if you had a rough fall. Absolutely, man. It's a great stress reliever at the end of the year. Yeah. For sure. Do you uh do you do most of your hunting in Missouri or are you traveling and, and hunting coyotes other places? Yeah, I'm traveling quite a bit. I, I you know, I do it a lot like I do everything else. Um I I get you know, I have a lot of ground in Missouri that we hunt. Um, but I also go out west and go to Kansas and South Dakota and Nebraska and, and try to hit those states too, because I'm so close to them and and they're such they're so different. They're so diverse. The the coyotes out west are just totally different than the coyotes here. And I'm sure if I were to go farther east, it would probably be even different, you know. Um, but yeah. I I kind of like to start the season off here in Missouri. Uh, we'll day hunt quite a bit here. And then we'll make a, about a four-day, two-day, sometimes, you know, three-day trip uh, out west and get out to Kansas and day hunt out there for a little bit. And then we'd leave them alone for about two weeks, three weeks, and then start in with thermal. And then thermal is where we really, I, I say, do the damage on, on them. I mean, we really set them up and, and stack them uh, when it comes to thermal hunting. But yeah, I try to, you know, I try to try to stay diverse with it and try to stay diverse with the content and kind of move around if we can. And I'm the kind of guy, I don't know if you followed long or not. I know you said you had, but some people may not. Like I... I really go into every aspect of hunting, whether it's turkey, deer, coyotes, whatever, um, with just an open mind and trying to learn new things and trying to always better myself every day. And, you know, kind of going out west is a test to, you know, not necessarily the coyotes are smarter, but they're just a different coyote and they just hunt different, call different. Um, it's just a different strategy altogether. So I kind of like to uh, to do that. And to me, you know, a hunter's worth is is judged not what he takes, but how versatile he is. And if you can throw a guy in an environment and he's going to be successful, to me, that's a good that's a good hunter. You know, so I try to stay as yeah. versatile as I can and as flexible as I can when I do that kind of stuff. You know. Yep, absolutely. I love that. Uh, that's a uh, that's awesome. I totally agree with you. Uh, I'm. I feel like uh, I feel the same way just about being able to throw, be able to get thrown in many situations. You know, it's like. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of really good coyote hunters that I've talked to, they're like, yeah, anybody can kill coyotes, but who can kill them when it's 30 miles an hour wind? And, Absolutely. you know, it, I think that those, you know, situations kind of separate people from the pack. And, and uh, you know, I just think it's cool to to get to know people like that and, and, and pick their brain. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you have a favorite place to go and hunt coyotes? I mean, I, I love going out West. I think the reason I like going out West is because you can pull up to a spot and be like, there's not a coyote within two miles here. And then you sit down and you'll do a howl and five will stand up. You know what I mean? I, it's just, 
it's so yeah. crazy to me and that area is like that for deer as well as turkey too like you get out there and it's just like there is no way there's anything that lives out here and then all of a sudden yeah. the thing just comes to life you know um I like that a little better. I'm a big efficient guy. I, I don't like to educate coyotes. I, I hate that. And I hate when coyotes come in. I hate getting them out. I think that's why I like thermal so much better than I do daytime because, man, in daytime, like we've had dogs, you know, out west, especially and in Missouri, you would never know it. But out west where I've had dogs run wind on us at 700 yards. And they weren't able to get it, you know, that far, but they were definitely, I mean, when you, you know, as you're doing your set and you're sitting across and calling and we'll look out and this dog's 700 yards out and he's literally running broadside to us all the way around until he gets our wind and runs that 700 yard circle. You know, how many times does that happen in Missouri? I don't know, because you just can't see that far here. So probably a lot. So um, I like out West because I feel like I'm more efficient out West. Um, but there's nothing like being at home either. You know, it's, it's just a give and take. Yep. I'd say if I, if I had to pick, I would do a, a thermal hunt out West just because you can see them coming from a long ways and, and you can be really efficient with your dogs. Yeah. 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 It's just uh, the thing that I like about it is like just getting out and uh, being able to just hunt and hunt like for like, you know, cause obviously, you know, we get older, we have kids, we have families, we have, jobs we have all these other things that we do so when we hunt around home at least for me it's like you know a few hours here and there you know or one night here one night there and you know it's kind of fun for me to get out there and it's almost like a vacation but then you're hunting for 19 hours in the of, of a day but like just yeah. fun to grind that you know for that four days and and uh you know and plus when you're doing it with your buddies it just makes it that much better Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You kind of get in the mindset where you don't have to come out of that like hunting mindset. You're always just going and you just stay locked in and, and have some fun. So yep. yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. Okay. So one thing I wanted to pick your brain on beings that you travel for literally everything, turkeys, deer, uh, you know, everything that you do pretty much, you travel to some extent. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to pick your brain on just your um, thoughts and experiences on traveling. And then we'll just kind of Obviously, you have a lot of experiences, but we'll just tailor it to coyote hunting. But obviously, you're traveling to hunt. I'm sure you things carry over. Um, when you like first started traveling and hunting, what were some of the first things that you learned on the fly? I'd like to take a quick second to talk to you guys about Dark Night Outdoors. As you guys know, Dark Knight Outdoors is partnering with me this year for the podcast, and I couldn't be luckier to have them join me. Just a couple of the things that drew me to Dark Knight Outdoors, uh, they will match match pricing. They don't have any sales tax outside of Illinois, and quick and free shipping, no credit card fees, and you get a free external battery pack with a quality mount to come with your purchase. And not to mention, if you use code predator podcast 23 at checkout on a thermal optic you're going to save fifty dollars so you're basically going to be able to price match uh, to the best price you are able to find and then save fifty dollars on top of that also if you're in the market for accessories uh, he jamie has so many different accessories down there dark night outdoors you can also use the code ppacc 23 so that's ppacc 23 to save 25 percent off all accessories so 
go down to the show description and look at Dark Knight Outdoors website and you will not be disappointed. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm like an overpacker. So I used to take a ton of things. Like, I mean, I would take everything for every situation. And I, you know, I, I learned, I learned, I learned what to trim down, what not to trim down. I also learned, I think the best advice I can give to anybody who is traveling is like, do your homework. If you're going to put the time in, you know, I always tell whitetail guys this, or I know a lot of guys that elk hunt and go to public ground and stuff. And I'm all for that. Like that DIY stuff's awesome. But a lot of guys, you know, have gone out West to deer hunt and hunted public ground for five years and haven't killed a deer. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, like if you, I guess just invest in the time that you're going to be out there. And if you, you know, if you're wanting to be successful, if you're, if you're more into it about the grind and just trying to figure it out and you're content with not killing anything, then that's a different situation altogether. But to be more successful, definitely do your homework. Definitely try to do as much as you can to get, I guess, success on your side, if that makes sense. So you're going to make sure you have the right gear. You're not taking new gear that you haven't tested. Get your stuff out there. Know exactly what you need. Know, you know, we could talk about Kansas, for instance. I hunt, out, I have about 12,000 acres out in western Kansas that I lease. And and it's for deer and turkey and coyotes. And that thing is, you know, I, I you can look at the weather and you can say, okay, the highs are going to be in the 50s. But then you get out there and like on the second day, it'll snow and be 30 degrees like they just can't predict the weather as well out there. So always taking, you know, I always try to take my heavy gear stuff, even if it's going to be, you know, a mild hunt, things like that. You just don't want you don't want the thing to ruin your hunt to be like your equipment or or preparation you could have done. So tech, I mean, always really, really stressed with your gear like you know, I work with Bog. I've worked with Bog for many years just because they make a great shooting system, in my opinion, that I, I can get around and is easy packable. Like, that's one thing that I always make sure, you know, you have a good rest. I've been with many guys that have taken shooting sticks and they've broken and, you know, things like that. Just make sure, you know, your gun, your scopes, your optics, all those things are very, very important. So make sure you take care of those things and, and make sure you're prepared for that trip because, you don't want to get out there and then have something like that ruin it for you. That's just the worst. You know what I mean? Yep. I totally agree with you. Uh, I'm going to also piggyback off of that and the tested gear thing. I think that he mentioned is huge. Uh, I think that going, you know, everybody wants to, you know, go on their trip and buy a new gun, a new scope, a new this, a new that, and then say, all right, I got my stuff. Now we can go. Um, I think it's super, super important to, use your stuff and be comfortable with it uh and just just so you can react and especially in coyote hunting things happen fast a lot of times and you don't have a lot of time to you know mess with buttons or you know figuring out how to zoom your scope or uh you're not used to your safety on your new gun you know just all kinds of different things like that and i think that just being comfortable so you can enjoy that moment and you know when you you know you know as well as i do when you go out there and especially coyote hunting there's days where it's a grind you might you know you might not call anything in for four stands in a row and then all of a sudden on that fifth stand when you're caught snoozing a little bit here comes one piling into the call and if you're not ready you're not comfortable with your gear uh you know i think that a lot of people can fail in that moment 
So I, I, I would think that I think personally, from my perspective, I, I agree with that majorly. And I think that that is an oftentimes overlooked, uh, part, especially of coyote hunting. I think people just think, Oh, I got this, you know, new thermal, I got my new call. I'm just going to run out there and, you know, kill every coyote in the, in the countryside. But you know, they're, they're still tough animals and you still have to do a lot of things right. Oh, absolutely. And it's not like deer. I mean, like deer hunting stuff, like you can take your deer rifle and shoot it a couple of times and get it in and you're okay. But like with coyotes, you're up and down all the time. You're moving so much more. You're packing that gun in and out. I mean, I can't tell you how many guys I've seen with like ARs, for instance, I buy a new AR and they'll go and they'll sight it in. And then they, they haven't hunted in it when it's cold, when it's like real cold yeah. or when there's a little dust in it. And then it starts malfunctioning on them. And, you know, what I mean, like just like I always there there's not a piece of gear that I'll take on a travel trip with me that I haven't at least done one hunt or one sit in Missouri with just to make sure in those elements it's it's fine. You know what I mean? It's tested. And that's yeah. coyote hunting. I think it's it's huge because the ups and downs and the pack-ins and the pack-outs and dragging coyotes in and out and the dirt. And you're, I mean, it's just, you're, it's so much, you're moving your equipment around so much more in those situations than any other equipment or any other sport you're hunting. So you have to make sure, you know, your mounts are good, your scope's good, your, you know what I mean? Like, and it's, it, there's yep. no other way to test it other than just do a hunt. You know what I mean? Especially if you're going west, you're on dirt roads, yeah. uh, right. you know, gravel road nice road out there like oh yeah everything's getting, everything's getting dusty and bouncing around and you you know you get turned onto a road you've never been on before and all of a sudden you hit a big pothole and you know everything goes bouncing around your truck just having all that you know those kinks worked out and knowing that you're you know granted yeah it, it, of course it can happen your scope can get knocked off or something like that but you know if i've used my if i've used my equipment at home and you know dropped it and you know, not dropped it on purpose or anything, you know, but right. just like knocked it around a little bit and, and everything still is rocking, you know, I'm going to have a lot more confidence in those situations. And I'm not going to be out on stand thinking, Oh, I wonder if my gun's on or off. And right. my dog comes in second guessing myself and then I miss cause I was second guessing it. And now yep. we're taking time out of the day to shoot a gun and, and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, it's preparation, man. And it, it's in every aspect of it, but I think coyote hunting is just, it'll mother nature will make you pay for it. You know, you can go to distances too. you know, Kansas, I mean, 300 yards in Kansas is nothing, you know, yeah, Missouri, right. 300 yards, like in Missouri, 300 yards is, a, a, I mean, that's about one of the farthest shots you're going to have where I'm at out there. Yep. Gosh, it's nothing, you know? So, yep. you, you know, you add that aspect to it too. And, you have guys that haven't shot their gun over 300 yards, but they're out there and this dog's standing at 450 or whatever. And they're like, oh, I'll just try it, you know, and you end up educating dogs and stuff like that. So it's just, it's just all about preparation. And I think it's, I think it's even more important, honestly, with coyote gear than anything else. Cause you have electronic collar. I mean, if you go into, you go into night hunting, that's a whole different game. Like it may sound stupid, yeah. but like when I get my new thermal every year, like I, I literally go out and I shut off all my lights in the room I'm in. And I would go through my buttons just by feel because that's what I have to do out there. There's I don't have the luxury of having a light. I don't have, you know, so I'm even like on my remote for my my my, my Fox Pro. Like I'm, I know what buttons I have. Like I do it all in the dark because that's what it's going to be out there. So 
I think just prepping yep. that stuff is is just crucial for being successful on a travel hunt, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think that like little things like that get amplified in coyote hunts because things do tend to happen fast. Absolutely. And, you know, even, even in Kansas, when you can see them coming a long ways, it's like, you're watching this, all this area. And then all of a sudden one pops up at, you know, a hundred yards at the call and you're like, where did this thing come from? But right. it's just like, I think that you, you get into those situations where you get flustered and you get, you know, a little bit excited, which you should, but you get excited and you get flustered and pretty soon you, you just, you don't, the one thing that I always think of too, is like when, a, when you get a hard charger and you need to turn the call off quick, like, yeah, and cause if you don't turn that call off, you know, at least in my experience, if you don't turn the call off, good luck stopping them. But yeah. you know, if, if I can't get, if I can't get to my remote or, you know, nowhere to hit the button to, to mute the call, like that might cost you an opportunity, you know, and a, and a golden one at that. So no, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and coyotes don't, yeah. And coyotes don't work things like deer do, right? Like, I mean, if I have a deer coming, I'm probably going to keep eyes on him the whole time. He's going to come slow. He's going to, you know, whatever, like coyotes know how to work bridges. They know how to work divots. They know how to work things that you didn't even know were there. I guarantee. I mean, I can't tell you how many yeah. times I've sat down and been like, oh, I got this covered. And then the dog shows up at the call and you're like, how did that dog get there? Like, oh, well, I didn't realize there was a saddle here or there was a. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's so fast paced and they can just pop up at zero to 60. I mean, just out of nowhere, you know, so you got to have your stuff. You you got to have your, your ducks in a row for sure. They'll make you pay. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that, you know, is is important. And I also think just being like just staying mentally like ready and focused because like I mentioned, you know, you go on four stands in a row or, you know, more, more, you know, we've all done the oh, eight yeah. stand, 10 stand, 13 stand day, and there's not a thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs, not paying attention. You're, you know, mad that the day didn't go how you planned. And then all of a sudden here comes one busting in and, or two or three or four, you know, that, and all of a sudden you just lost your opportunity because you're kicking yourself and feeling sorry for yourself. But, you know, I see it, I see it happen a lot because I hunt with a lot of different people, like just people get so discouraged after a stand or two. And, and I'm like, man, it's where, you know, it might be, it might be after the last sound as we're just about to get up. But like, until I'm getting up, heck when I get up and I'm getting ready to leave half the time, I'm looking around, like, is there still one trying to sneak in on me somewhere? Oh, absolutely. Uh, just being ready uh and and staying mentally uh focused and prepared because especially like you know you know as well as i do like especially well you know more than i do because you travel all the time but like you get out of state you know you start missing your your family you miss home a little bit you get you know a little homesick and and uh your hunting starts to get crappy or you get bad weather mm-hmm. you know things can really take a turn for the worst and and uh coming out ahead on in those situations i think is you know again what you kind of mentioned at the start like it puts you in a, a dealing with adversity and how are you going to handle it and sticking you into different situations and make the most of it and i think that that being a great coyote hunter i think is uh that's a huge part of it yeah yeah i, I always i always had the mindset and the guys i hunt with are the same way of when we blank one or you know we blank a set we're just one step closer 
So like we kind of go into everything. I mean, there's nobody out there that doesn't blank sets, right? There's, I mean, it just doesn't, it's just impossible. Heck in Missouri, it's about eight sets. I mean, there's on a, on an average day in Missouri, you'll blank eight before you'll kill one. Like it's just where I'm at. There's just a lot of pressure. There's not a lot of habitat. It's just what it is. It's tough. But you yep. just have to every time we blank one, like, well, we've said it before walking out like, well, we're one step, one closer, one set closer. And that just kind of keeps you locked in, ready to go for the next one. And, you know, like, is this one going to be a blank? If it is, that's just one step closer to getting one. That isn't, you know what I mean? You just kind of work it through like yep. that. And and uh, I tell you, I, I think I, you know, my life has been surrounded by whitetails my my whole life has i mean that's just the what has flowed through my brain and it turned it into business and it's now almost work in that aspect but coyotes are one of those things that they are just an absolute challenge all the time like there's they are just it's crazy but even like nighttime even thermal stuff like there's hours they run and there's hours they don't there's there's you may go four sets at night and blank and then the next eight sets you'll kill coyotes on every one of them you know it, it, they may yep. st- have a slow start to the night and then they start good they may have a hot start to the night and then shut off at midnight and you may not kill another dog from i mean they're just so so sporadic on their movement and when they run and when they you know call well and all that and it's it's one of those things where i think being mentally tough and and prepared for those situations is most important in coyote hunting it's almost like hunting whitetails in the rut there's no trick to hunting whitetails in the rut. It's just being there and keeping a positive yep. brain because it can happen anytime. That's how coyote hunting is all the time. It's just a yep. matter of staying after it, staying positive and thinking, hey, next set may be the one and just keep grinding. You'll find them. They'll they'll open up eventually, you know. Yeah. It's actually that was a that was a great, great comparison there. It's actually the exact same thing you know you're sitting in your tree stand you're on your 10th day of uh 10th straight day you haven't seen a shooter yet and you're sitting staring at your phone and all of a sudden you look and there goes you know a shooter walking by you at 20 yards and yep you know you're in a scramble to get up and and make a shot and maybe you do maybe you don't but it's just uh that's a that's a really good comparison yeah because it is like that all the time you know absolutely yeah it's it's a it's a challenge and I wish I could uh, figure out those, you know, the, I wish somebody knew the times, you know, like today's going to be good until midnight and, yeah. oh man, that's the, that's the most frustrating thing ever. What part is the part about coyote hunting too? Like you just, you exactly like you said, you make, you might make four stands of nothing and then eight stands that they come in every time. And maybe those first four stands you made were your four best spots. And it just, absolutely no rhyme or reason. I will tell you a little tip of that uh, is we are we've been and even daytime in it we've been revisiting spots and honestly it works really well even if you do like there's a lot of times we'll go and night night hunt and uh, and it's a lot of I, I run a lot of vocals at night I don't run a lot of distress in fact I typically don't even run a distress until I have eyes on a coyote at night typically. Um, yep. but that, again, everybody's got a different strategy with that. And we'll get in the sounds. I think that's a, I have a different kind of outlook on sounds probably than a lot of people do, but, uh, there's a lot of times we'll, if we'll blank a spot and I know it's a good spot, we'll once, you know, we'll get down the road, we'll keep hitting spots and say it opens up later in the day. We'll go right back to that spot. Nine times out of 10, we'll kill a coyote in it then. 
Um, a lot of guys, a lot of guys shut off spots if they call them and they won't go back and they won't revisit them. Um, what I found is a lot of times there may not be a dog that responds or there may not be a dog close, but they move that direction after everything calms down and is quiet again. And, um, that I think a lot of guys kind of miss that or they think that spot's kind of I don't know just tainted or whatever for that night and they don't go back to it but you can find some success if you keep the wind and you know you pop in pretty easy and and if it's a spot you really believe in nine times out of ten if you go back and revisit it a couple hours later you can you can have some success out of that same spot for sure that's awesome I've I've never done that and that's a great point because I've so like this is along the lines of traveling and hunting. One of the things that I started doing when I started traveling and hunting was hitting spots, you know, cause I am that, I'm that guy. Like if I hit one today here in Wisconsin, I'm not hitting it again for two weeks or whatever right. it might be. Yeah. You know, I just, I was like, okay, I pressured it. Now I'm going to stay out of there for a while, whatever. But like when I started going to Kansas and, and traveling and hunting coyotes, like you might only have, you know, whatever you know your x amount of properties that are good for this wind and you get that wind you know two nights in a row well now i i'm gonna we we did it last year we just went back to them and we we called in dogs on you know i'm I'm not saying all of them but we called in dogs on on some of the same spots we hit the night before and so yeah i might have to try that one yeah Yeah, it's a doable thing yeah it's it's feasible it's not you know, for me, I would rather, I would almost rather call a, a spot that's not fresh that I know there's dogs around than to call a fresh spot that I didn't know there were dogs around. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to kill them where they're yeah. not. It's, it's just like everything else. You're not going to kill a big buck where he's not living. You're not, you're not going to catch a fish where he's, if he's not in the water, you know what I mean? If he's not in the pond, yeah. like kind of the same situation. So, and it may be, you know, we may tweak it a little bit, even we may come at it from a different angle. We may, you know what I mean, may set up 100 yards away from where we were, those kind of things. We may tweak those a little bit just depending on what our conditions are for wind or approach. But nine times out of ten, I mean, I think a lot of guys just X spots out because they didn't kill one there or didn't call one there. And it's not always the case. You know, if it's a good spot, give it give it another try. So do you do you like let's say, okay, you're out, you you called these couple stands, you blanked them. They're really good spots. and then. You know, let's say it's 11 o'clock and all of a sudden you kill one and you kill two, you kill three. Like, okay, now it's on. Is that what you're waiting for to go back? Like if you were to go out and you're blank, 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 would you turn around and go back to those spots still if you thought they're really good? Or are you just kind of saying like you're going to wait for that window where they're turned on and then you're going to go back? I think for, yeah, it's a matter of, uh, there's a lot of things that go into it. So if we're looking at temperature, say for instance, and I'm hunting an all day thing and and I'm in Missouri or Kansas and say a lot of times we've noticed that coyotes um, in in really cold temperatures, coyotes move better in the middle of the day. Uh, They don't, they can, they can, they can keep their body heat the best when they're laying down. Right. So the coldest parts of the day, white tails do the same thing. Um, so a lot of times your first sets, last sets, which typically are your good ones in mild conditions, um, tend to tend to not be as good when it's cold. So yeah, if I'm if I'm say I'm hunting starting at daylight and I haven't killed a coyote before ten o'clock and I've done two sets on really you know good pieces of property, 
And I go and I start hitting other spots and I start banging them and say, I shoot, you know, do two or three sets there and kill some dogs off of it. Say I see one off the road now moving on his own, say, you know what I mean? Like if I kind of just notice that the movement has picked up, I absolutely will jump back into that spot. If it's mild conditions, I'm going to probably go back into that spot that evening. So in mild conditions, you know, typically noon to three is just kind of tough, especially in Kansas, because the wind yep. typically always gets up that time of the day. It can happen. But yep. if we're killing dogs that time of the day, it's because we have a really good approach that we can get in close to where they're bedded up and then kill them that way. They're not out running. They're not out moving. I'm not bringing dogs in from a long ways. Right. So I'm going to. If it's a mild, like say, if it's a mild thing, I'm definitely going to go back in in the evening. I'm going to not, you know what I mean? I don't want to burn that during that kind of, I kind of take my sets from 11 to three on mild conditions or high windy days. Like I'll do the least likely spots, right? Like I'll just try yeah. new stuff over those time frames, And, and then yeah. I'll go back to my, you know, my places I know are good for the evening sets and try to do those starting after three o'clock. So I would, you know, in a mild conditions, I would wait and go back in at three and then try to hit rehit a couple of those morning spots, cold conditions. I mean, when it gets cold, like, and it's a lot of times at night, the same way for us, because we're night hunting and, you know, we're not like Texas where you can do it all year. So we're night hunting in some pretty cold temps in Missouri. It doesn't even yep. open. Our thermal doesn't even open till February. So um, in those situations, it's, it's one of those things where you got to jump on when they're up and they're running and they're moving on their own. Like you got to jump on those times and go, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. So, or time of night it is. So. Just kind of paying attention to that, though, being observant of what you're seeing on the road. If you're seeing three or four coyotes, you know, different spots out running, they're up, they're moving, they'll pull to you. And I'll typically do longer sets in those time frames as well, just because, you know, yeah. you're going to pull a dog from a lot farther um, than those 11 to three sets. I mean, I'm, those are going to be quick ones. Those are going to be quicker ones, I guess I should say. I don't really yep. ever. I, I, I get the question a ton about how long are your sets? What what sounds do you use? I, yeah. I have a system that I call it. It's like Novocaine. It's just give it time and it'll work, <laughs> kind of thing. Like I, I don't I don't get caught up in the new sounds that are out, or I I, I get you know I don't care what other guys are killing them on. I don't I, I kind of just play a set out, see feel it out, see what's going on. I'll throw a couple different distress sounds at it. Um, if it's just a coyote set, it's a pretty simple set like i i do like to howl a lot right off the bat um yep i do that typically quite a bit i would say i do that more times than not on sets even in day sets and the only reason i do it is because it's it gets my sound out a little farther and if those dogs are laying down bedded it may wake them up get them to listen and then i'll go into a distress that hopefully they'll be able to hear and and pull in um, you know, we're getting into breeding time now too, to where there's a, there's a time in typically here in Missouri, it's in late January. Um, that's almost like what I would call the first week of November in the rut, where there's a lot of young dogs out roaming, young males, young females, um, that you can kill off of just a howl, like just one single interrogation howl, give it six minutes, um, is what I always do. So I'll play the howl shut it off and sit there for six minutes. And I cannot tell you how many young dogs we've killed in that time frame that are just coming, looking, even in the middle of the day, uh, coming and yep. looking for a partner. So 
to me, if the, the less sounds I can play to kill a coyote, it's all about efficiency, right? So if that if I can get away with that, heck, I'm not even burning distress sounds. So let's go ahead and get this yeah. done. You know what I mean? So so there's always, you know, like we talked about, it's just about being flexible. It's about taking it for what it is right now, what you're kind of seeing, what you're observing. Um, and then just kind of, as I'd say, but like darts at the board, man. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, the, the other thing too, like to kind of add to what you're saying, the, the way I look at it is, is like the least amount of sounds that I play, the like, not the faster I can go back there necessarily, but like if I play one howl, kill one, I'm like, heck yeah. Like I didn't do anything here. Like I, I can go back, you know, in a, in a week and play a completely full different set and feel like I'm completely in the game Um, or like, you, you know, in the, in the world of suppressors too now, like do the thing like you're talking if you call call one in one hollow bang drop dead and then you know slip out come back a couple hours later you know maybe it's the same thing but um yeah i I think it just opens up a lot of a lot of possibilities uh for what's your what's your what is your strategy like let's say so i always i'm still trying to figure this part out for me is like let's say I call and then I dump it and then with the world, you know, nowadays with having suppressors, if you're, if you're hunting suppressed, like, are you going to sit there and just call that standout, continue to call that standout or, or will you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can't tell you how many times that we've killed cats on the back of a dog. Like we, we've shot a yeah. dog in, in, in like five, 10 minutes on the set and we'll set it out. I I don't like to leave a set under 30 minutes. I and only time I'll ever do it's if we're doing a tournament. Um, yep. I, I will set it out and I'll, I'll be patient with it. Um, I can't, I mean, we've, uh, gosh, I would say at minimum five or six times that we've called a dog and killed it and then either killed another dog or killed a cat within 15 minutes after that shot and that's even that's even going back to i mean i've hunted with guys that weren't suppressed and we've done that like it's not you know a lot of guys a lot of guys think gunshots are like just tell them like oh they heard a gunshot they're not going to be there like if that dog's not within 300 yards of you he has no clue that that's nothing you know deer the same way he like guys like all these shootings got the deer like no they have no clue if you ever watch a field full of deer and a gun go off in the distance they don't even pick their heads up it's not they don't know what that is now if they're right there in that immediate area obviously there's some shock value to it but if he's a ways off no he has no clue you know what i mean so it uh it's definitely one of those things I, i feel like patience a lot of guys want to just bang one. And that's another thing that goes back to like shooting dogs after, you know, if you get a double in or something and one gets away, like guys will just start banging away at them. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like let the dog chill out. Like there's so many times that that dog, well, he'll go out and stop on his own or you may be able to call him back in in a little bit. Like it's just a matter of a lot of times they don't know what's going on. And if he's right. not right there in that immediate area, you're probably got a pretty good chance at you a better chance at killing him that way than you do at him running at 250 yards and you're trying to just lob him out there at him while he's freaking trying to scoot out of there. Right. Yep. 
that's uh that's something that I'm trying to adjust my habits in. Like I'm so yeah. I was so used to not not having a suppressor and not that you can't do it without a suppressor, but like yeah. I do think that it, like it areas where I'm at that are very high pressure, like I think that in most cases when you shoot it will uh it will disturb the area or the immediate sure. area and like where i'm at like there's not like there's not coyotes aren't coming from you know two thousand yards or you know right. a mile like coming yeah. from within the, the near couple hundred yards and similar to what you're at in, in missouri i assume yeah. and uh I just think like, so I'm, I'm trying to get my head around like, okay, I don't need to like someone misses. I don't need to just start shooting at it. Like I need to like, okay, take a deep breath. Like, let's see what it does. So I have a story for you to add to this. So this was like just last Friday night, we were out going into a stand, spotted, a spotted one, sat down, turned the call on, came right in, killed it. So we moved, like, we weren't even like back to where I wanted to call yet. So we just just continued on like moved another 40 yards started calling and one came from pretty much the same direction of where i shot the other one comes in is standing like 40 yards over top of the other one you can see it in the thermal like you can see the one laying there dead and you can see the other one right above it uh-huh. and we shoot and uh guy misses that one and i shoot at it once which i shouldn't have but like like i said i'm just stuck in That's like hard. <laughs> i'm stuck hard in this do habit that i've done for you know 10 years so Mm -hmm. it runs runs off and then you know i scanned my left and here comes here comes one like literally like nothing happened like Mm -hmm. i just scanned to my left from you know i shot to all here to my right i scanned to my left one's coming in like nothing ever happened Mm -hmm. and it comes in comes all the way in guy shoots misses it it runs off i do the same thing i shoot like two or three times and then i hit a howl on my remote and i'm not joking the thing stopped on a dime when i howled and just snap and just came right back in mm-hmm. like yeah they will it's it's a and patient, I'm just like right? i got i really gotta stop doing that it's tough and it's hard to break that and i had it for years the same way but honestly thermal hunting taught me a lot i i was able to watch them a little bit more you know what i mean you're just able to see them a little bit more I wasn't, I found out that I wasn't, once I got over the the initial part of like understanding, like, man, I'm standing in the middle of this field. Like they have to see me, but they don't, you know what I mean? Like once you get over that, like you're, you kind of, your, your blood pressure kind of goes down and you start critically thinking and you're like, okay, yeah, this is going to work, whatever. But you, it taught me patience more than anything to where like, man, thermal hunting, like we won't shoot a dog over 150 yards very often. Like we let them work right. it and we let them work the call because yep. it teaches you, it teaches you just how, what their mindset is, how they hunt, what they do, you know? And it's really a matter of just being able to tell yourself, like, just chill out, let him go, let him come back. You know what I mean? Just let him work. And and over time you'll work through it, but yeah, it's 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 tough. That's tough to break, and uh, it's nothing but experience that'll get you there. I mean, I, that's yep. what did for me yep. at least. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to preach or anything, but it, it, it was just a matter of I just had to fail at it a bunch <laughs> before I was like, yep. hmm, this makes sense. You know what I mean? And then you, once you get you and your buddies on the page with it, then you start realizing like, man, we were idiots for doing that because this is we're killing way more dogs by not burning at them while they're running, like. 
Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a different thing that I think, and I think that's what makes coyote hunting what it is though. You know, that's what that, that gets you pumped up and it's so rare for it to work out. And then when it does work out, it's so fast paced and right in your face. And it's just like, gosh, it's another test of much like deer hunting. You know, it's the same. I always assimilate the two, I guess, but that's just how I am. But it's about keeping your cool. And, and it's about kind of just, I always say, seeing the game slow. You know, they always talk about Hall of Fame quarterbacks in the NFL that just saw the game at a different pace. And that's what it is. It's you're able to do that. Yeah. You will be more successful at it. You just got to be disciplined in your mind to do that. It'll help you a lot. Yeah, totally. So you, so you like to play the, the least amount of sounds as possible. And you, you like to use long pauses. Mm-hmm. Um, you do like, is it pretty standard? Like one sound, six minutes, one, like, no, do you play like whatever minute and then off for six, or is that just how you start it? No, it's really just about feel. Yeah. Like I'll start yeah. it. Like, obviously I'll start it with the inter- interrogation how, and I've probably got, uh, on my call, I've probably got 10 different interrogation hows, and yep. honestly, uh, from everybody. I I don't uh I got Tony Tebby's MFKs I've got Predator Tactics I've got, yeah I've got all of them um I it's a, it's just a preference thing for me for what I'm feeling I'm like yeah hey, let's try this one you know I like this one it's got a little bit yeah. more higher squeal to it whatever so I'll play it and then I do the six minutes that's pretty much the only standard of my of my call set that I do the majority of the time um, beyond that then I'll go into a rabbit um, I've got a bunch of different rabbits, obviously. I mean, there's a million of them out there, but uh, I like a cottontail that kind of has a wine in it, uh, just a little bit, almost like a, a hybrid between like a, a jack rabbit and a, and a cottontail, yep. kind of like those kind of those kind of cottontail sounds. Um, like if you're familiar with like the Fox Pro ones, I would say like that snowshoe hair is a similar sound to what I kind of look for. Um, yep. And then, you know, I'll play that. And I, there's a ton of guys that do volume things and stuff like that. I don't play with volume much. Uh, I run an X-Wave. So pretty much every how, if it's windy, I'm playing it. Or every rabbit, I'm playing on 28. If I've got some wind or I, I need some distance. Every uh, calm days, I'm doing 26 on my volume. That volume goes up to 40. So um, that's usually where I do that. I howl at 30 on my on that call. Um, and then I'll usually run that rabbit, uh, and I, there's no set time, honestly. It's just when I feel, I just feel like it's been there, you know, long enough. It's usually over, you know, six minutes. Typically it's somewhere probably between there and 10. Um, but I just feel like, okay, let's swap it up a little bit. And then I'll go to, if I feel like my sound needs to be a little louder, I'll go to a jackrabbit. If I don't, if I feel like my sounds, my, my sounds loud enough, then I'll go to like a, um, almost like a bunny cottontail, like a, uh, baby cottontail or something just a little bit subtler, um, yep. and run into that. Even I'll sometimes throw like, a like a field mouse or like a squealer in there on the ends, on the backside of it. And then, uh, if I'm just, if nothing's going on and I'm still pretty adamant that the spot's good. I'm going to probably throw a pup distress, but I really don't like playing pup distress on sets. Um, I only play pup distress after shots typically. Um, So that's why I try not to, I never try to show that card very often 
um, to them, to the coyotes to kind of burn that yep. sound per se, because I, if I need it, that coyote's already going to be alert. You know what I mean? So I'd really try to keep it kind of close to the cuff, I guess you should say. Um, but I'll burn it at the end. Um, but that'll bite you a lot of times because pup distress, they don't come slow to. And if you sit on a set for 30 minutes, you're pretty laid back. And that has bit me in the past where I'm like, ah, there's nothing here. Screw it. Let's play this. And then they're like, right. oh, God, they're five at the call. You know what I mean? Like, you got to really watch pup yep. distress because they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to burn you or they're going to burn the wind. They're they're not going to work that like a distress call. They're they're going to either absolutely hard charge it straight in, or they're going to run your wind on it. There there's no other option for on pup distress that I've seen, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my sets for the most part. They're all that same. I, I don't call I don't call coyotes in the summer. I don't uh, I don't mess with them any other time of the year than in in the winter. Um, yep. But that's definitely been i guess the most successful now obviously we'll get into you know you get into breeding then i'm going to play a little bit more i'm going to scrap the interrogation howl and i'm going to start playing pair howls um just just openers just you know kind of just basically setting the territory yeah yeah yeah. which i like pairs i like pair howls a lot better in the uh at nighttime because they tend to answer them a lot more than they do a single howl um daytime though i don't like to do pair house as much i will when we get into heavy breeding but daytime i try to keep it kind of subtle because it's usually daytime and you don't yep. hear a ton of coyotes howl in the daytime it just doesn't just yep. not as Same often you know? yeah so that's kind of how i run my house for the most part but understanding i would tell you that if you really want to take an advantage and you really want to get better at coyotes and and calling them and things like that i think for me it was more about understanding their vocalizations and trying to put it together every time i hear a coyote i don't care if i'm deer hunting every time i hear a coyote howl i'm trying to figure out what it's saying like is that an interrogation howl? is that a you know what i mean what's going on with that howl? where is that what is that um and once you kind of get the hang of that and you really if you really pay attention to that you can kind of have conversations with them and i've done it before a lot at night where you know you may howl they'll howl back and i'll challenge and then they'll challenge and then i'm like okay so now we're getting somewhere and you just kind of build up that um there's some ways in that i like vocals a lot more than i do distress just because they're so much more complicated and you can if a guy knows what he's saying and the vocals yep. and what, you know, what to respond to, man, it's a whole nother level of calling that a lot of guys never do. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do think that's one of the hardest things to understand. Um, yeah. especially like, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that are, you know, that coyote hunt a lot and, and, you know, in the, in the days now of, of thermal being so much more affordable, there's a lot of more people to hunt at night. So, um, generally people are hearing a lot more vocalizations than, you know, people would have 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but I do think that's one of the hardest things to explain to someone. Cause I have people all the time, like, Oh, you know, I'm sure you get it too. Like, Oh, you know, they howled at me now. Now what do I do? And I'm like, yeah. well, here's five follow-up questions to figure out what he was saying. Or, you know, the first thing I always tell people is like, I try to identify if it was, if it's a lone howl, try to identify if it was a male or a female. Yep. You know, or if it's young or old, can you figure yep. that out based on how they sound? Or even if, even if it's a guess and you guess wrong or you guess, you know, hopefully you guess right. And then you can learn from it. But like, 
I think that's the best way to do it is like, okay, I think that's uh, you know, an old male. So now I'm going to play this sound because of it. And then he comes in and I kill it. Okay. I was right. Or, you know, maybe you're wrong, whatever, or it didn't work. Okay. Now next time in that situation, I'm going to try something different. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's big on, there's a lot of times, you know, we'll sit there and, and call and like you say, for instance, an old male, where the how back? And he's, he's challenging back, right? He's not, he's not interrogation Allen back. He's, he's literally mad challenging back. So I can either play him two ways. I'm either going to go with a young female that is trying to breed in like an invite kind of way, or I can go with a young male who's opposing him and trying to be in his area. Either way, yep. if you can build that situation to get him in that mindset, then play a distress he automatically either is like, okay, I'm going to go breed that that female, right? So he's going to come before you even have to play a distress. Or if he's going to sit in there and just be mad that you're in his area and you play a distress, now there's somebody in his area hunting, which is even yep. more, you know, it even builds up his anger even more. And a lot of times can bring him in that way. But yeah, it's definitely, yep. there's a big thing in the vocals. And I would tell guys not to don't just dabble. If you're going to do vocals, it's not like distress, right? Like nobody knows distress really. I mean, it's, it's a rabbit, right? I'm going to play a rabbit. I don't know. There's not a lot to it. Vocals are one of those things that can make you or break you. Like you said, and like you said, the the age old question is, well, I howled and I played distress and he just stayed in the timber and howled at me the whole time. And you're like, okay, what was it just a alert bark? You know, was he, he alert to it? Was he, you know, is he call shy? Did he see you walk in? Does he smell you? Does, you know, there's a million different ways to do that stuff. So yeah, absolutely diversifying yourself on vocals will give you a huge advantage a lot of times. And obviously an advantage over a lot of coyote hunters, because like you said, a lot of guys don't know. They just go out and push buttons. Right. And there's nothing wrong yep, with that. But exactly. if you if you really want to try to, you know, if you're hunting heavily pressured areas or if you're really trying to be successful at it when you know there's guys hunting around, heck, there's some stuff in Missouri that I night hunt that there's guys that day hunt it. Two or three guys that day hunt it and we'll go right, right. behind them and kill dogs all night long in those same spots just because they don't know what they're doing at those times. You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. Um, I got a follow-up question for you that I thought of while um you were going through your scenario there. Okay, so one one thing that uh I am working working out right now myself is okay, so I just I do a very, very, very similar set to you. And I I don't wait six minutes usually, but sometimes I do. I would say it's anywhere from three to four to six to ten, you know. I guess it just sometimes it depends, but let's say I want to run you through this situation. Okay. You let your interrogation haul out. You wait, you know, two, three minutes, or maybe it's quicker than that, but dog pops out or steps out and it's not coming like it's standing or it's maybe, maybe working the wind or it's, you know, it's just, it's just basically has come out and is not advancing towards you. What's your Mm -hmm. next play? So I go soft, right? Like if a dog, if a dog's being timid, then I'll go timid on my call. So even on my distress will be a soft, like a baby cottontail or like a, just a little, or just subtle, 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 subtle. And almost like you can do like a vol squeak, even something like that. Yep. Like just, I, I always go soft first because if you go, your, your next option is go aggressive, right? So your next option is to go pup distress, right? And just get them to go crazy. But if you go aggressive first you can shut them off and get them back if you go subtle 
they're not going to nine times out of 10, you're not going to scare him away. If you can get eyes on that coyote, just watch his body language and see what he does. I'm going to go soft first. If that doesn't interest him at all and doesn't care, then I'll I'll ramp it up on him as it goes and essentially come to an altercation where it's going to be you're either going to walk away or you're going to come. You know what I mean? At that right. point, you just kind of work it up from that way. But you start small. A lot of guys, I think, want to they just want to jump into aggression, right? They want to jump into a pup distress or a louder rabbit or whatever. I, I tend to go soft first and then lead up to that as opposed to do it the other way because the other way, nine times out of ten, your aggression scares them off. It's usually a timid coyote when that happens from what my experience yep. is. Or maybe it's a call shy coyote, right? So if it's a call shy coyote, going timid isn't a bad thing because nine times out of ten, whoever made him call shy wasn't playing timid. Probably playing loud. Right. And that's what happened with it. So, yeah, I typically go – I'll go – real soft and that's something to look at when you're when you're looking at sounds to get make sure you kind of have that versatility and know that right like just go through the sounds on the website and listen to them and be like okay yeah this would be a perfect thing to play as a soft kind of just coax them in they a lot of times like they call them coaxers you know what i mean and that's what they're for i mean that's kind of it but and nine times out of ten at night i tend to kill more coyotes on softer sounds than yeah. than a harder rabbit you know what i mean a louder rabbit per se so i do i'm i'm with you i i would go so like i had this happen to me the other morning like played one howl dog came out i went to vol squeaks or you know like a rodent sound and soft and it didn't come so then if that doesn't work so usually what i do is is like try to go up a bit with the volume like just to see if like it's a not hear me thing or is it whatever but like and then i'll maybe go back down just like i'll maybe turn the call up a little bit see if they react to it or break or you know or don't break and then i'll just turn it right back down sometimes that works but then my question is that doesn't work then what's then what like he's just standing out there yeah so i would go your your rodent or whatever and turned it off didn't work now you're like okay now what I would go to pup. Pup's yeah. like the ultimate loud, just aggression thing. And the, the dog's either gonna gonna break or go. It's a it's a make or break thing. That pup's always been that to me. Um that's just what it is at that point. The dog's either gonna work in or the dog's not. Um yeah, I, you know, I, it's like say so many different situations. That's probably what I would do though. Yeah. It'd go to an aggressive, aggressive pup or a fight or something like that. Um I'll tell you, we don't run into the situation a ton because we run, we started like two years ago running that Flambeau uh, coyote decoy. And yep. I'm going to tell you that thing is unreal. Like it has yeah. made, yeah, like the hangups don't happen. Like we just it don't is. have kind to hang up. Once they see that it's, they're coming. I mean, it's unreal. They're not, not necessarily coming to fight it, but it adds, I think it just adds more pressure to them if it's a distress sound to get there like because they get there before they do. Absolutely. Yeah. And we had a dog in Kansas two years ago. We we did this set. We have this spot that's just phenomenal. And we did a set, called two dogs in, shot them both, stayed on the set. It was like eight minutes into the set, stayed on it, uh, started playing rabbit, had a dog out about 400 yards. That was just kind of working around not really working us just kind of working and then all of a sudden the dog came from our right and literally 
was 50 yards and ran all the way, sprinted, ran all the way. I shut the call off, but the spinner was still spinning. Came all yep. the way in and ran past the decoy to grab the spinner. Like yep. with the call off and everything, like wouldn't shut, like I couldn't shut the coyote down. Like he was just burning because yep. he had to beat that other coyote to the actual spinner. And I just had the decoy. I always oh. set the decoy about 10 yards off staring at the spinner. But it's unbelievable how much it changed. It's like, like I said, I'm going to go back to deer. It's like deer. Like when they see a decoy, when you call, like you can rattle a buck, he's going to act yep. completely different than when you rattle and he can see a decoy. Like it's the yep. same situation with a coyote. Like you can call to him. He's going to act different. If you run a decoy out there, like I've had them come out at 400 yards and be leaving and literally look and see the decoy and turn and come straight into it. Not running low timber, not running. I mean, like just straight across wide open. Cause they feel like there's another coyote there. I got to get there. You know what I mean? So it, that has been one yes. thing. Yeah. And I don't work with Flamblow anymore, but, uh, it's definitely one of the best best things I would say as a tool to add uh, to your system is that flambo decoy because it's it really is it's been a game changer for us as far as holdups we just don't have them. You still use it at night? I don't. I we actually talked about using it this year at night just to see if they could see it well. I don't know. I I would I would do it though because it's I mean it's unbelievable what it does. Like I can tell you huh. every I can probably say honestly. I think every coyote that's seen it has died or at least come in to get shot, yeah. like shot at, like it's unreal. Right. It's a real game changer, especially out West, huh. man, places where they can see right. far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about every animal that's called in, like almost every single one has like a hang up, you know, or hang up spot, Absolutely. you know, turkeys, you yep. call a turkey with no toys. They're going to get to a spot where they can see where they called. They don't come in. Same with deer. They're going to, most of right. the time they're going to come where they can see the, you know, location and they're not going to come in, you know, granted deer usually, usually, or, or hopefully you're in an area that sets up well enough that has some cover or something that you can get away with making them come and look, but right. like coyotes, you tend to find yourself in more open situations. I definitely, I mean, I don't see, I, I guess I just not, I've never, I've, we used to use one when I was really young. Like when I was first was going with my dad, he would pull out a decoy and, and throw it out there occasionally i just never saw it work or not work i guess so like yeah. i just thought like, indifferent on it like i don't think it's good or bad and right. uh that's that's really interesting and but but it makes every bit of sense because it's like every it's like every animal calling it in you know and i think that every visual aid because i use the spinner on my call and like right. i think that's a game in the daylight like when they right. see that it's a it's a break and a come usually but yeah, I've that's a that's a really cool and very different uh strategy that I that I'm gonna have to try. Cause it, I mean yeah. the, especially like having an animal come into decoy is so fun. Like because oh, yeah. you just get that you just get that reaction that you don't normally get. So right. huh. And if you're howling that's on cool. and I'll tell you, don't let anybody tell you you can't kill cats over them because we've shot three cats now within twenty yards of that decoy that saw the decoy the whole way and kept coming i mean they came out uh -huh. in the wide open and shot them like even they even the coyote gives the cat confidence to leave cover to come out like what i shot a cat in kansas a couple weeks ago that cat was the second cat we called in on that set and it had the decoy at it 
and it came i mean we watched the we probably filmed that cat for i'd say 15 minutes and he started when he came up over the ridge he was at like 60 yards and i was like i'm just gonna let it part and he freaking worked the whole way down snuck the whole way down into the decoy shot and like 15 yards from it with that coyote decoys right there he was just locked on the spinner and just trying to hurry up and get there but you mm. know I do a lot of, we run a lot of like trail cameras on uh, dead piles too, this time of the year. And if you ever watch any of that stuff, like there's a lot of times that cats are in there eating and a dog will come in and like one single dog, like they'll just kind of, they'll deal with each other. You know what I mean? Like the one doesn't run the other one off. Like they just kind of deal with each other. They don't like each other, but they, they'll deal with each other. Um, Same, I mean, it, it works on that. We've done (laughs) I like and when we were walking out in Kansas, I was like, man, I was like, everybody always says, don't howl. You won't kill a cat. Don't, you know, man, we howl, run a coyote decoy. Like they'll die the same way on it. That's nothing to do. So well, almost every time we day hunt now, we take a decoy almost every time. I mean, it's if we don't, it's because we forgot it. Like it's it's yeah. one of the big, big keys. I think if a guy's looking to add some equipment and kind of change things up, that's one thing that's really big, especially if you got open stuff. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. I, uh, I'm going to have to try that now. Yeah. You gotta try it. uh, Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I hope my dad doesn't hear this or he's going to be told in the decoy everywhere he goes now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We pack it. That's even out, like say out West, it's even, it's just awesome because it's so wide open, you know? So just a lot less work you got to do with the dog. Like once he sees it, he just closes his eyes and freaking comes, you know? So you can relax a lot more and it's just a lot easier. Yeah. I think it would, uh, I could see like on full moon nights or something, you know, like nights where people would always be really skeptical, you know, especially night hunters. Everyone's like, Oh, it's full moon. I'm not going, you know, they're not going to come in. I definitely think, uh, I definitely think that, uh, that decoy would help then in that situation, especially if you're that worried about them seeing you, I guess, but it's not really that I am too concerned about usually, but, um, I no. hear it a lot. People are like, wow, you're going to go tonight. The moon's bright. Like, yeah. The, yeah. Like I'm, I'm going, that doesn't bother me. Right. Yeah. We push in. I mean, full moon nights are definitely, I think different here at least, but we push oh, in yeah. a little, we push in a little more on them. Um, yep. On full moon nights. And uh, I just try to get more cover. Like, yeah, you know, just have cover. Like, cause if right. they, if you think they can, obviously they can see better you know i can see better when it's full moon too so right, right. Like i'm just trying to i i treat it like almost like a daylight set like get up Absolutely. against you know bush yep. or a tree or you know, try to hide a little bit at least at least have your at least not be skylined or something you know crazy like that but um yeah no that's that's super cool super cool yeah we'll try it this year uh, i'll let you know how it goes because i'll we'll run that decoy a little bit at night this year i think we're we're yeah. talking about doing it anyway so i think we're gonna we're gonna make a trip out west probably here in the next couple of weeks and do some thermal stuff out there because it opens up well nebraska's open all year kansas opens yeah, up kansas uh, just open yesterday just open yesterday yeah so we'll we'll make we make a trip out there before we come back here and start hitting it hard so we'll definitely uh definitely give it a whirl and see what it does i don't know yeah so yeah so it's tuesday the second right now i'm leaving for kansas on the fourth so thursday and then i'll be there till sunday um so yeah hopefully if you guys follow me on instagram i'll uh, hopefully be putting piles of coyotes on there but 
Uh, yeah. The weather looks good, so I'm hoping that it's going to be awesome. But uh, yeah, it's it's just fun to be out there, and it's just uh, it, I can't I can't really like you know you know as well as I do. But, like people are always like, oh, why do you go out there and hunt coyotes? There's coyotes here. It's just right. it's just different. It's, it's just different. different. That's all you can say. Like, and once you've done it and you're into coyote hunting and you have done it, then you understand. But it's just it's just different and it's it's fun. So. Yeah, and you get the right day out there, man. You can pile some fur. Like, it's unreal. When it's on out there, it's yeah. just not even close to what it's like here in Missouri. Like, it's just yeah, unreal. You, you, yeah, you feel like that you're the best coyote hunter in America. <laughs> absolutely. You know, for yeah. A couple hours yeah. at a time out there. Right. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. Absolutely. Uh, what can you kind of run me through, like, your nuts and bolts of your gear? uh yeah. and your setup let, let's say your daytime setup and then your nighttime setup yeah so i i i have i run a uh i shooting a ruger american predator that essentially is just the barrel um and the action we i kind of worked on the action jewel the action a little bit and worked on it through extended bolt handle on it through a magpul stock on it put a timney in it kind of rebuilt that gun, yep. but that gun has a good medium barrel um, for what it is. So for stock guns, we really like them a lot. Uh, shoot six millimeter Creedmoor is what I've been shooting. Yep. Um, I So I built a day gun. I have it uh, with Vortex Gen 3 on it, 6 to 36, I think is what it is, 37, something like that. Um, it's that's what we run on daytime stuff. I run the bog Sherpa. So it's a little bit smaller. It's like the bog pod, but a little bit smaller. Um, I run it cause we're sitting down. So it doesn't have the height of the big ones, but, uh, I run it. Uh, we're running ghillie hoods, which I get a lot of questions about the ghillie hoods. A lot of guys tell me they're dumb, but we have seen some big advantages in those for when you're out West, we can almost sit anywhere uh, with that grass. And if you have your ghillie hood up, it'll really break out your outline. Plus we're hiding a camera guy as well. So there's usually always yep. three of us. Um, yep. Run that, a friend of Fox Bar X-Wave, and then obviously run that fam- flambeau uh, decoy and a spinner. Um, I do run a stand out West, um, which I just built kind of just a cheap tripod um, and then camo it up. Out west, I think it helps a little bit for getting the sound out, getting it up above that grass a little bit. So, and it helps because I can put the spinner on it, so I can get my spinner a little bit higher as well for visibility. Um, yeah, that's about it for daytime stuff. I think run some of the different bog packs. Bog's got a fanny pack that I run quite a bit of, and then run like a sly dog. Uh, they make a backpack that has legs on it and a a seat. So I run it and then put my my bog uh fanny pack will sit right in the back side of it so it's kind of nice a little little system i can kind of get everything put together um nighttime wise we're running just a bigger bog so like the bog infinite the ball head um yep. and then i have the same exact gun just built for nighttime so it's got a pulsar thermion on it um with the LRF, because I think it's crucial to have LRF at nighttime. I'd say if you're looking to get in a thermal, save your money and buy an LRF version of whatever scope you want to buy, because telling yardage distance at night is impossible. Um, yep. So, yeah, I run that and then still run my X-Wave. Um, yeah, nighttime's a little bit, a little less gear, obviously, but uh, yep. a little, it's, it's a, just a different game altogether. 
Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I think. What uh, what do you shoot bullets out of your six millimeter? Uh, Hornaday's shoot the LDXs. Uh, we reload them, but uh, pretty close to what like the hunter, the precision hunters are that they make. Yep. Uh, pretty close to that, just a little cleaner powder. And I set the bullets yep. are outset out outset a little bit more. They're not set as deep. Um, yep. but yeah, we've been running those. My buddy Jeff and I have this, two of the same guns. I mean, he's run a day gun, night gun. I've got a day gun, night gun, and we run pretty much the same stuff. And it's kind of nice because yep. we can just get reload, you know, ammo and bulk and have couple thousand rounds and and run and gun on them but the six has been kind of my favorite i used to shoot a 22 250 uh i used to shoot uh 243 at one point um but the six has kind of been where i found my home i think shooting 100 i think any any grain you shoot out of the six is good but i i've just noticed that with shooting the 103 i it doesn't it bucks the wind a little bit better out west so I don't get pushed yep. as much. And it also packs enough punch that the coyotes really don't carry it well, um, especially beyond 300. Uh, my buddy Heath Baker was finally got to shooting a six and he was shooting like 75 grainers and he kept shooting these coyotes at like 300, 400 yards and they'd run with the bullet. And I'm like, dude, your bullet's too light. Like you gotta, you gotta break that. It seems like you gotta break that hundred grain threshold to really have some good punch out beyond 300. So the 103 has been a perfect bullet, um, which I've always heard that Hornaday created that bullet for that caliber when it came out. Yeah, that was the bullet they found that was just the absolute best, and it's done nothing but great things for us. I'm not the best shooter in the world, but I've shot a couple coyotes over 600 yards. Um, I mean, it, it does as good as I can do with it, I guess I should say. Probably somebody more talented yeah. can probably do more with it, but it it does great. So that's kind of been the setup that we've been running for a while. Um, I've got a Mossberg, uh, uh, what is it, 6mm or 6.5 PRC that I'm going to play with a little bit for some night stuff. It's a little bigger bullet, but um, pretty yeah. pretty similar. Um yeah, I want to I want to kind of play with that 240 Weatherby that they just came out with. It looks like it's a pretty nasty little round, so I may play with it yeah. a little bit too. But for the most part, my six millimeter is just kind of what I know. Flat gun, man. I I have it inch and a half high at 100, and it's about four and a half inches low at 300. You know, that's it's a flat yeah. bullet for for a hundred grainer, uh, which makes nighttime super super easy. So yeah, that's, right. that's been what we worked with so far. Yeah. Yep. No, I like it. Uh, the six millimeters are really popular round. Um, yeah, I really like that round a lot. Hey, I'm, uh, working on a 22 Creedmoor right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to play with that a bit at like the 75, 80 grain range. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'll, I'm interested to see, cause I still shoot a 22 50 and I absolutely love it, Right. but I don't, you know, but I don't shoot, you know, I've shot some in the, you know, you know, three to 500 range, but I don't, I'm not, I maybe shot just a couple over 500, but like my, I mean, my, my bullets move a lot in the wind. Oh yeah. (laughs) Just like I, I was shooting steel last week with the buddy and he was shooting a 22 Creedmoor and I was shooting 22250 and at 600 yards, like my bullets were moving two feet and his were moving six inches. Like it, it was significant difference 
So yeah, you know, that's I don't what, have as much forgiveness in that in that category. Yeah, going out west is what broke me from shooting a twenty two two fifty. Uh, I loved yeah. it here in Missouri. It was awesome. But then I got out there and man, you you may go through two different crosswinds all the way to your target. Yeah. You know what I mean? With the way that the, the canyons lay and stuff and, and grass just murders them. I mean, if you got to shoot through yep. anything, it's just not great. And I, it got me away from it. And that's, that's what I had shot my whole life. I mean, since I was a kid, you know, was twenty two fifty, And, and it really broke me into it. And then, you know, nighttime, we learned quickly that, running the bolt gun was more efficient for coyotes and that shooting a heavier bullet was more efficient because nighttime's not like daytime where you shoot a dog and then you move and you're you're on other dogs well if you didn't put that dog down he's gonna you go back and he's just gone you know so we wanted to shoot something heavier um and the six doesn't you know a lot of guys are like oh it's got to tear them up like it really doesn't that much i mean every now and then you'll get a pretty good hole on the exit but man, if you lung one or shoot it, you know, through the rib cage, I mean, it just puts a hole. I've shot, I shot many bobcats that, you know, I've kept and mounted that I've shot straight on at 50 yards yep. and there's no exit. I mean, the bullet just stays yep. inside, you know? So I've been really impressed with that bullet and that gun, um, or those, those types of guns, um, for everything we need. I mean, it works, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I I think that uh the bigger bullets are definitely uh gaining traction and mm-hmm. especially at night like I mean you hear a lot of guys shooting 65 Creedmoor and shooting uh you know 243 is really popular um I mean yeah I could I can definitely see it like I it's there's nothing that can really throw a night is spending 45 minutes looking for one you know oh, that you hit and, Yeah you know, and then you just, now you just lost the stand. Like, you know, and right. you do it two, three times in one night, you know, you just maybe costed yourself two, three, you know, two, three more dogs. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the six is I, the reason I went, I went to the six back before when this, I went to the six when the six, five came out. Cause I was going to do a six, five. Cause that was all the hype. And then I started yep. researching it and I saw where like a lot of the long range guys were switching to sixes. And it was because they were flatter, but the recoil is almost eight pounds less than the six, five, just in the yeah. six alone. And I'm like, Oh, this is perfect. Then like, that would be great. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yep. and it's just, I mean, it's a hopped up two forty three is what it is. You know, that's what the bullet is yep. pretty, pretty much, but a little longer. And I don't know, it, it just ended up being a good, for me, it's great. Cause I like my kids can shoot it in youth season. Like my six-year-old and shot yep. his first spear this year, shot my six millimeter, like giant, you know, it's got a suppressor on it. It's a huge gun. He's a little yep. kid, no recoil. Like it just worked. I don't know. I, I think for me, it's about the most versatile. That's what I deer hunt with too. I don't, you know, I don't yep. change calibers and that. Like it's a big enough gun. I mean, unless you're going and shooting elk, which you could shoot elk with it, you know, as long as you lung burned them, I'm sure. But I, for for me and our application i feel like the six has been a really really good and there's like you say just going back to like heath like there's a ton of green options you could pick for those things gosh you can get them yep. almost anything but i i always try to stay around 100 the 103 has been performing pretty flawlessly for us so far and i don't know it's what you like though. it's yep. it's all about preference what i always try to tell everybody you know just get one you know yeah get a gun you know what it's going to do and you're good to go yep totally 
totally agree with you and being comfortable with it. Like I, I say, like, I feel like I get people think I'm a, you know, not giving them the nicest answer when they ask me like, Oh, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter what I think about it. It matters what you think about it. Like you're right. the one who has to shoot it, shoot it well. Like, I, like I might think that this, you know, tripod or bipod or scope or whatever is the best, but like at the end of the day, you need to think what you're using is the best and, Absolutely. you know, and be efficient and be effective with what you have. Like I'm, I sometimes things that I use are different than the next guy. You know, I use different stuff than you do and yeah. we might both kill at the same rate with it. We might not, but it's just a matter of being comfortable and being able to, you know, get on target and some people's way of doing it is different. <laughs> that's all always good, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. One thing about, I mean, with social media and all the information that's out there, it, there's just a ton of things and I've always just tried to put things into my situation and maybe take a tidbit from here and a tidbit from here and a tidbit from here and just kind of put it together and apply it. Cause nobody's ever in the same situations. Right. So everybody's got different things, different abilities and all that. And it's really just a matter of taking little snippets and be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. It was out of, you know, let me try that. Let me try that kind of thing. And I think guys, if guys stay open-minded like that, that heck, it's just going to keep getting better, more efficient, you know? Yeah. Totally agree with you. Um, well, I'm going to start to wrap up means we're uh, almost an hour and a half in. I'll let you get back to your night, but before you go, um, can you tell everybody where to find you, um, where to find your videos and, um, I'll leave everything in the description below, but just so, um, you can share where to watch all your stuff and find you. Yeah. Oh, I'm losing there. there. Yep, I'm here. Thought I lost you there. Um, yeah, so at the Blake Garrett is the um hang on a second, my phone is buzzing. Um at the Blake Garrett on Instagram is pretty much where a lot of the content goes for the most part. I also have Unfiltered Outdoors, which is on YouTube and on Instagram as well. Uh put some we put some a lot of recorded content on there uh that is produced and stuff like that goes there. Uh, at the Blake Garrett eight, I believe is what my TikTok is. Uh, run some TikTok there, but if you go to at the Blake Garrett on Instagram, I have a link tree link in there in the bio, and you can yep. go to all kind of all the links that we have and what we do. But yeah, for the most part, uh, Instagram gets most of the fresh stuff, um, or at least the most up to date things, and then from there it goes out to YouTube and TikTok and things like that. So that is uh, the best place to do it. Yeah. We're going to work on awesome. some more recorded content. I haven't uh, haven't put out a ton of recorded content recently, but I have a bunch I've got to edit up that uh, we're going to start kind of dropping some of those here late winter, early spring uh, for that. And then my my Instagram, I kind of roll it seasonally for what I'm doing. It goes from, yep. gosh, it'll go from deer to coyotes to, to nighttime stuff and then turkeys and then all the way back around. Yep. So there's always something going on. For sure. No, that's awesome. I'll uh, put everything uh, in the show notes for you guys to find them. And like I said, I'll be, uh, this episode is going to come out. I'm actually going to post it when we're done pretty much. And, and, uh, it'll be out tomorrow and that'll be Wednesday. And then, like I said, Thursday, the fourth, I'll be in Kansas for the weekend. So you'll have to keep up with my Instagram and see if we're, uh, killing any coyotes and hopefully, hopefully it's a pile. Yeah. Hopefully where are you at? Where are you looking uh, I'm in Wisconsin where I'm Wisconsin. at right now. So, yeah. yep. It's a pretty Wisconsin. good trip. It's a pretty good hike. Yeah. It's like six, six and a half, 
seven hours to yeah. cross the border. So I'm bad then. Yeah. So yeah, man. Well, good anyways, luck. Yeah, let me know I'll, how you do. Uh, let you get back to your night, and uh, I really appreciate the time uh, of joining me tonight. Man, anytime. Just let me know. All right. Thank All right, you. We'll see you. Yep. Bye. Thank you guys for tuning in to episode six of the Predator Podcast. As I mentioned in the podcast here, I will be in Kansas this week chasing dogs with my buddies. So follow along with my Instagram, Predator Podcast underscore Drew, and keep up with me this weekend. And I'd like to give a final shout out. Big thanks to Blake for joining me. This is one of the, my favorite episodes I've ever recorded. And check the show notes below. Find all Blake's information. Check out his Instagram, his videos. Uh, he has some awesome stuff. And as you as you heard, he is just a wealth of knowledge. So check him out. His his content is great, and you'll not be disappointed. If you guys want to support me, check out Dark Knight Outdoors. Go to the description below. Find my discount codes that you can save a little money on thermal optics and accessories. You'll be glad you did. And as always, find me on Instagram, Predator Podcast underscore Drew. Message me and follow along with my uh, adventures here this winter. I'll do my best to keep it updated, and I usually am pretty responsive to messages. So uh, shoot me a message, give me a follow, and keep in touch with me there. We will be back next week with another episode of the Predator Podcast. But until then, shoot straight.